What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, 10 years of Tim Cook in a decade as CEO, Apple's stock up 1,200%. Tech watcher Tony Saganaki. When Tim Cook took over, that was the real question. In a post-Steve Jobs era, can Apple continue to enjoy success? The numbers have been tremendous. And vaccine mandates, they're all over and they're all different. Former EY CEO Mark Weinberger. Everybody who comes in and says an employer should absolutely not mandate because it's our right not to have to get it doesn't understand the risks and nuances. Every business is different. Even the mandates that you're talking about are different. Those stories today. But first, Johnson & Johnson is out with some promising news about its COVID vaccine booster. House Democrats compromise for Biden's economic agenda. And meme stock mania, it's back. Is it Mimi? It's meme. I like Mimi because it's all about me. If it ever left. It's Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. Just one more day till National Dog Day. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Pod here on CNBC. I'm Melissa Lee along with Joe Kernan, who barked. That was not a real dog. Who barked like a dog. Sounded just like a dog. Barked like a dog. Um, Becky and Andrew are off today. Shares of GameStop soared yesterday as some retail investors came back in full force despite an otherwise quiet market. The stock closing 27 percent higher with no obvious catalyst during the trading session arose as much as 36 and a half percent on heavy volume. More than 14 million shares changed hands seven times more than the 30 day average. Other Meme stocks also popped. AMC Entertainment jumping 20%. Clover Health climbed nearly 10 Bed Bath & Beyond rose more than 4%. So you should have seen the Twitter. I mean, in, in the, the Reddit sort of AMC, hashtag AMC, short squeeze was trending. We had a little conversation yesterday about, you know, how to do this show, who to book, what we should do. And talking about the overall market, you can only do that so, so much. And I think maybe there's traders around that are like, you know, playing this overall market. Yeah, let's go back to those meme stocks. I really think that might be it. It's like, let's find something somewhere that gives us a, gets our blood running a little bit because there's nothing. You know, we hit a new high every, every day, it seems like. But it's tough to attribute it to anything, right. whether it's Delta, whether it's, uh, you know, Jackson Hole, whatever you want to talk about. But. I think, it's, I think it's boredom. I think it's boredom. And, and you know, it's August, so it doesn't take much to get these things started. Democrats reaching a deal to break the stalemate over the $3.5 trillion budget resolution. Eamon Javers has more on the busy day shaping up Washington. And it just struck me that these tough guys, these tough moderates in the, uh, in the Democratic Party <laughs> that, that were holding their ground, Eamon, they said, all right, all right, here's our deal. Here's our deal. If you'll pass our $1.2 trillion, if you promise, okay, go ahead and do the $3.5 trillion. And I just thought, let me see, $3.5 plus one point. It just is, 
I mean, we say these words so easily, Eamon, but these are major, major commitments that, that, uh, that have a lot of far-reaching consequences. And I don't know. I just accept anything now. I just read it. it, it so we'll I do mean, your uh, one. We'll do the three and a half. Just make sure you do our 1.2. Is that I how it works? I remember when the uh, Obama-era stimulus was measured in billions, and now we're talking about trillions, right? I mean, so there is some inflation going on in this world. I don't know if it's transitory or not, but that's the way it is in Washington. Look, uh, the, the dilemma that Nancy Pelosi had yesterday uh, was that she had these moderates who were saying, we won't vote for the $3.5 trillion package, which is uh, desperately important to the progressives, unless we get a vote first on the infrastructure package, which has already passed the Senate, right? So they're saying, we got a big win here on infrastructure, roads, bridges, and all the rest. Let's take that win, put it in the bank, uh, and then move on to the next thing, which we don't know what the fate of that is going to be. The progressives said, no, 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 we want to use the leverage of the infrastructure, which everybody wants, to get the larger piece, which we think we might have some more difficulty with. In the end, what the moderates got and the way Pelosi finessed this yesterday was she allowed them to, get a, to have a commitment from her, which she put out personally, that they would have a vote on the infrastructure package by September 27th if they voted yesterday to move the budget framework forward uh, on the 3.5. The moderates did that. They voted enthusiastically with the speaker once she gave them that commitment. And so that's the way you have it. It's the 3.5 advances in the, in the procedural process. That's not by any means final, but it advances along the track, and they get a commitment for a September 27th vote on final passage of the overall infrastructure bill. So Pelosi brought these two sort of sparring factions together, uh, and you could say that the moderates lost in this in the sense that they wanted the infrastructure bill first. They didn't get that. Uh, they did at least get something. Uh, they saved face, and they, they lived to fight another day. Well, the far left, the, the far left faction says we're still not going to vote for that 1.2, even if, you know, it, when, when that comes up on the 27th, the three and a half is not going to be done. So they, right. they, they might say we're not going to do that. So, and, and, so they and then it won't pass. Too. Yeah, they'll right. fold. That, they'll fold. That, that's a possibility. But, I mean, a lot of this is negotiating positions that everybody staked yeah. out in the beginning, and then you cave toward the middle, but you stake out the most extreme positions. So when you cave, you cave less, right? Uh, that's an old Washington strategy. It's an old strategy and everything. Uh, and, and that might be what's going on here. In the end, it is really hard to see that House Democrats would vote to tank Joe Biden's most significant economic accomplishment so far. Uh, you know, the, the idea that they want to go into a midterm election, uh, to a presidential reelect eventually, uh, having tanked an infrastructure bill that just about everybody in the country wants, I don't think that's politically viable. And I think that hey, they, a lot of it's in, posturing. But that's, that's just my a point. That's a point Republicans always make that uh, say what you will about the Democrats. They, they come together. They stick together. They are a united block. And a lot of times the, the Republicans look around and wonder, where is that um, that ethic in their party? And there's, you know, whether it's... I don't know, Joe. I mean, there's an old joke in, in among Capitol Hill journalists, which is that you can always get away. If you don't have a story, you can always run the headline, Democrats in disarray. You know, no, I know that, but they always story. come together. They stick together when they're, go, when they're going at stuff. I mean, you remember McCain? You remember Romney, Sass, Murkowski. I, I mean, there, there's, there's always about 10, Flake, there's always about 10 of them that, that are not... Uh, necessarily going to go with with uh, the party, and then things don't happen uh, for, Repu- yeah. for Republicans anyway uh, because of this. 
Breaking news from Johnson & Johnson on vaccine boosters. Meg Terrell joins us now with more. Good morning, Meg. Good morning, Joe. Johnson & Johnson out with a press release saying that it has given a booster dose in a small trial uh, six months after the first single shot of its vaccine and seeing that it uh, produces what it calls a rapid and robust increase in spike binding antibodies. They saw that they were ninefold higher after this dose six months out uh, than they were about 28 days after the first shot. Now, they're saying that this supports uh, being able to boost the single shot COVID-19 vaccine. And of course, as we've been hearing all of this talk about boosters eight months after the original vaccination series, that's been for the mRNA vaccines. The CDC, though, yesterday tweeting and really reiterating what we've been hearing from U.S. health officials uh, that, quote, people who receive J&J will probably need a booster dose. But we've been waiting for more data on that. Interestingly, the Johnson & Johnson data show that their immune response uh, is sustained out to eight months, uh, but there's been a question about whether they would need to boost, and this is some initial data suggesting that when they do, those at least spike-binding antibodies are increased. So guys, there's going to be much more data that we need to inform this entire process, but a little bit of it coming out now from J&J, and we're expecting more from their two-dose trial pretty soon. Guys? That sounds like a pretty good deal to me, you know, Meg, ninefold. Uh, you drop by Walgreens, you know, you stop in there, it doesn't even hurt. Uh, I don't know what the, you know, remember when we wanted a vaccine and we didn't have it yet? And we're like, you know, you get this thing and you don't know what, you know, all bets are off if you get it. We've got these great vaccines now. Uh, and so you need a booster. What's a big deal? I got 10 minutes on my way home to stop by. I think this is good news. Thank you, Meg. Thank you, J&J. What do you think? Well, am I wrong? Am I right or am I right? right. I'm, I'm with you right. on this one, Joe. You, no way. Oh, my God. Mark my words. Oh, my God. Meg, forty-seven. this is breaking news. I agree with This Joe is breaking news. But you know what I mean, Meg? Look how much we were... We, we, I don't know. We take it for granted. I think we're, we're jaded. We're jaded at how quickly we develop these and how... Ninefold... <laughs> yeah, the boosters will likely help. I mean, Joe, I think the the whole idea here is we've been in a pandemic. And so we've been taking these vaccines and trying to get as much protection as we can as fast as we can. And what it might turn out is that we should space the doses out farther, six months or a year, the way a lot of other vaccines are initially dosed. And that's what we'll end up finding. But because we've been in a pandemic and we needed as much protection as we could get as soon as we could get, we got all the doses at the beginning, or at least for the two-shot vaccines, and now we're talking about boosting. But this will change uh, as we get out of the pandemic phase. And as you've been pointing out, we need to take the vaccines and need more people to take them right. in order to get out of the pandemic phase. Although with, the, with full FDA approval, Meg, of the Pfizer vaccine, now it is possible to use that for off-label purposes, which could include using it as a booster, correct? So, I mean, we will probably hear about more and more people getting boosters now compared to before. You know, it's really interesting, Mel. Typically, when something has full approval, doctors do have discretion to use things off-label. But the CDC and the FDA really warned about that in this situation because 
these vaccines are under some special handling with the CDC. They said there could be sanctions for doctors that use them off-label. This was particularly in questions about using them for kids under 12 for whom they're not authorized at all. We already know a lot of folks have gone out and gotten booster doses. I think the CDC said about a million people had done that. And it is under emergency use authorization for people who are immunocompromised. But they are trying to wait until it goes through the regulatory process, the FDA and the CDC, for everybody to be able to go out and get their boosters eight months out. It's so much just hand-wringing and, and gnashing of teeth about that. That's all we talk about, our, our you know, vaccine hesitancy and everything else. It just, it's confounding uh, at times to me versus the, the prospect of hospitalization. Serious illness. And, you know, COVID-19. So it's just weird, Meg. It's weird. I, it's, when I heard ninefold, if I had gotten J&J, like I said, if I had gotten J&J and someone said, well, we can do ninefold higher antibodies if you stop by Walgreens on your way home, I don't understand what all the trepidation and it's kind of a lunatic fringe, isn't it? I probably shouldn't say it. I'm going to get, I know what? I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. You just not going to do it. You no. just said it, but yeah, no, no, that, no, it's, it's the, the egg is already cracked instead of the horse. Toothpaste is out of the tube. Okay, Meg, thank you. Just was going to just mention, you know, Ned Ryerson, just to continue with your your pop culture movie ed- education. Someone noticed that. Am I right? Am I right? 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 That Groundhog Day. Okay. Groundhog Day. Noted. Next on Squawk Pod, can your boss mandate the COVID-19 vaccine? Getting into the risks with Mark Weinberger, former CEO of consulting firm EY. Over half the employees polled want to have a mandate. But remember, 30% or more absolutely do not want to mandate under any circumstance. And Joe, the issue is, even if you want a mandate, which a lot of employers do, you can't afford to lose those employees. A big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Stand by, Joe, and three. This is Squawk two, Pod. One, his mic, here. Good morning, and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Melissa Lee. Uh, Becky and Andrew are off today. Uh, they're off, uh, I believe, tomorrow and Friday. And uh, Melissa noted it was difficult this morning for you, uh, and it's only going to get worse. I, mean, uh, I don't <laughs> okay. mean coming in to see me. I just meant that. What's your 3 a.m.? Is it a 3 a.m.? Uh, I get up at 3.20. 3.20. Yeah. Well, you've done it twice, so two more times. By the end of the week, you're going to be like, uh, default trade is definitely up. And it's got nothing to do with the Fed. It's, uh, you know, people are, are buying rocks. They're not even real rocks for It's got everything to do with the Fed, including the rocks. It does. Liquidity. I think, I think it does. Zero interest rates. But they're all no. The, it's Tina. There are right, no exactly. alternatives right. to a it's to a, a pet rock. To there, there is no alternative to a digital rock. You love knocking the rock. I do. I don't understand it. 
But it must. We had the conversation yesterday. I know we did. And I looked at it and I actually. Why is buying a rock any worse than buying a $150 cotton polo shirt that you can buy at Walmart? Because it's $9.99? something that you could, that some people hold dear. And therefore, exactly. Okay. All right. Exactly. Goldman Sachs, the latest firm requiring vaccinations uh, for all people, employees and clients entering their offices. The Wall Street Journal. Uh, or Wall Street giant, joining a growing list of companies mandating vaccines for their employees, including names like Disney, Walmart, and Facebook. Joining us now uh, to talk about companies mandating the vaccine is Mark Weinberger, former ENY CEO and chairman, and during Mark's tenure, EY had 300,000 employees. I don't, I would have been so nervous. Uh, And also hired 65,000 new employees uh, a year I guess at some point, Mark, it's like you do your best and uh, come what may, because it's never going to be, you know, never going to be easy or, or smooth. There's going to be things that happen. I li- Here's what one of the things that I don't understand about the vaccine. Now we got the FDA approval. So you figure it's going to be easier. But then you say to remind what I said on Squawk before, employers have an oversized role to play in making sure employee, their employees get vaccinated but making it a condition of employment is a big step and should be the last resort. So what are you talking about? Just begging? Beg, 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 beg? <laughs> I mean, short of making it a, a requirement, how do you get it done? Well, Joe, you're throwing my old quotes at me. That's impressive. So uh, thank you for uh, digging that up. That's uh, a, is that a bad one for you? Is that a tough one? No, do, no, you, do you still agree with that, that sentiment? You think it should be very difficult to actually do the mandate? For I think making it a condition of employment, Joe, is always difficult. It's the hardest thing to do. It says that we're going to fire you if you don't undertake this activity. It's usually led left to things that are illegal. You get fired for not for things that um, are, are based on vaccinations or flu or anything like that. Now, I will say this, Joe, that in the last three months or so, you've seen a huge movement in business moving towards uh, uh, mandating because the Delta virus has become so proliferate. And because we've seen um, the rise and spike over again of, of the virus. But I will tell you, anybody who comes in and says, you know, every employer should mandate because if you don't mandate, it's irresponsible, uh, doesn't understand the nuances and risks. And every, everybody who comes in and says an employer should absolutely not mandate because it's our right not to have to get it, doesn't understand the risks and nuances. Every business is different. Even the mandates that you're talking about are different. Some are only for certain offices. Some are for only if you come into the office, you have to get the vaccine. It depends on the demographics of your business, the the business you're in, the industry, where you're located, and a whole host of other things. So I think companies ought to be given a lot of leeway here to make their own decisions based upon what their workforce wants and needs and how they protect them. And it's, it's, you know, we're going through this for we've, no one's done this before pandemic obviously but now we got a, a new um i don't know a, we got to think through this vaccinated breakthrough problem and i it's th- thrown a wrench in the works completely because now vaccinated people can be not only can only they can catch it but then they they can have a high viral load and not even know it so employee employers get everyone vaccinated everyone's in there but some of them may still have it. They give it to someone else who takes it home to their kids who aren't who aren't vaccinated. So what what do you do about that? Do we have to wait till children are vaccinated before we can finally take off the mask and finally stop social distancing and, and finally get back to a normal environment, Mark? Or we're back in, you know, we're back to square one. 
Well, this is why the government and and most CEOs that I know are urging all their employees to get vaccinated. When we have the herd immunity, we'll be back to a safer environment to be able to operate in. And that's why some have moved to mandates. And and those who haven't have done every incentive under the book to try and get their employees to get it. My question was, so, okay, you're vaccinated, but you can still get it. You can still give it to someone else who's vaccinated and they can take it home to someone who's not vaccinated. So what do companies do about that? How do they then you shouldn't be bringing people back if you can uh, or they're at least liable for mandating people to come back, even if they get the vaccine, because it can break through, give it to somebody else and take it home and give it to their kid. Yeah, well, under that scenario, then to its logical conclusion, no one would leave their homes for under any reason, which we're not going to get to. Uh, so, I mean, listen, it's it's every employer has to manage the risk, and there's going to be increased risk no matter what you do because of the environment we're in. And so they're looking at their workforce, who they serve, how to have their customers and and uh, and the service providers that they provide service to um, safe and their employees safe. And I think what they're saying is, in most cases, we want to mandate over half the employees. Uh, polled want to have a mandate. But remember, 30% or more absolutely do not want a mandate under any circumstance. And Joe, the issue is, even if you want a mandate, which you, you know, a lot of employers do, uh, you can't afford to lose those employees who are often at the lower end of the pay scale and the frontline workers who don't want to get the vaccine. So these employers, as you, you know, we said at the outset of this, this hit, are, are in a very difficult situation and have to make the best decision they can based on the information they have. I mean, that's that's my next question, Mark, and that is, would we be in a different situation in terms of whether to mandate um, if if the labor market were not so tight, if it were not so hard to find workers, if there wasn't labor shortages across industries? I mean, would it be a different story? Would employers have more power to say, you know what, I will just issue a mandate? It's certainly possible, Melissa. I mean, honestly, again, I think that um, it would be really great if if they can just convince their employees why it's so important to them and their children and their friends and everybody else to get it. Doesn't seem to be working as fast as as we would hope. So, so maybe that's the case. The, the issue one is not having enough workers, as you suggested, but also those workers who are most impacted are the ones who are most impacted economically by the whole pandemic situation. It's the lower income and, and frankly, the minorities who are least willing to get the, the, man, to get the uh, vaccine. And so that would have a really disproportionate hit on not only the number of employees, but their diversity across the board. We've all through this pandemic tried to, to balance, uh, you know, being as safe as possible with with not really, you know, going so far overboard that the, the what you're doing is actually worse than if you hadn't done it in the first place. And I wonder Right now, with these breakthroughs and, and what we're talking about, if, even though maybe they're not as common and, and a lot of times you're not hospitalized, the, the worst case scenario is taken off from that. But do we go back to people that are vaccinated need to wear masks when they're with their when they come back to the office? Is that what we need to do? Because that here we are again, wearing masks and, and social distancing for double vaccinated people just to make sure that that really rare occurrence doesn't happen. Well, to, to your point, Joe, I mean, I guess it depends on whether you're sitting right next to someone, maybe, or you have your own office or whether you're in a health food, a health industry or a food industry where you're working with the public. Um, you know, I think it's going to be fact sensitive as to whether or not you're going to have to wear a mask. But for sure, as long as we have this spike, we're going to be wearing masks in public places like airplanes and transportation and public transport longer than we want. 
Yeah, that's one of the problems, though, that people are like, oh, so I get vaxxed, but it doesn't really change anything for whether I, I need to be careful. But it does take the worst-case scenario uh, off the table, but then you've got kids that aren't vaccinated, so then you've got to worry about that. Maybe, maybe that's the next step that really is the game-changer, where across the board you have the worst-case scenario taken off the table for, for most people. Then you've got to go back to you know, take the mask off maybe at that point, but... Well, we all want the masks off. There's no doubt about that. No one wants to wear those. But I think you're right. I mean, if this could get managed down to where you get maybe a, a flu-like symptom as opposed to going to the hospital, I think people would be willing to take more risks than still if you're at risk of, of, of dying or going to severe cardiac arrest. All right. I don't envy you or, uh, well, I, I envy you because you don't, these aren't decisions you need to, <laughs> you don't need to be quite as involved anymore. You can, you can just come on Squawk Box, which is awesome for you and, and for us. Well, getting to talk to you is always great, Joe. This is, I still love it. And uh, the boards I'm on are active. J&J, big announcement today. So you still yep. stay involved in the issues, but you're right. You don't have all the responsibility of leading, which is really hard. Are you sarcastic about that? Or- I think so. Was he? I think so. 50% sarcastic or how much? No, I'm I'm all true, Joe. I love talking to you. And Melissa, it's great to see you. I miss Becky and Andrew, but this is great. (laughs) All right. Well, it was great talking to you too, Mark. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. Have a good week. (laughs) Still to come on Squawk Pod, it has been 10 years since Tim Cook took over as CEO of Apple. And things are just about as sweet as ever. Longtime Apple watcher and analyst Tony Saganaki joins us. The immediate near-term challenges after such a Herculean year where every business is really fired on all cylinders, what can Apple do in the near to medium term to continue to demonstrate its growth profile? We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee. Here's Joe. Today marks the, uh, the 10th anniversary of Tim Cook replacing a tech icon Steve Jobs and leading Apple to new heights. He meant so much to me and so much to all of us. Steve's spirit and timeless philosophy on life will always be the DNA of Apple. Josh Lipton joins us now. He's been following the Cook era uh, closely, as closely as anyone of that tech giant. Hey, Josh. So, Joe, there are different ways we can judge the performance of a CEO. One way, of course, would be financial. We can look at a company's stock price. Remember, Apple named Tim Cook CEO on August 24, 2011. Since then, Apple stock is up more than 1,000%. That is versus a gain of about 280% for the S&P 500. Revenues, 
growing more than 150% to $274 billion through fiscal 2020. Apple's market cap skyrocketing from $346 billion to nearly $2.5 trillion. Company we know has very deep pockets, net cash position of $72 billion. Dividends paid nearly $103 billion. Now, some worried when Tim Cook took over from Steve Jobs, a visionary who could wow audiences with the latest and greatest Apple products. How could Cook, an engineer and supply chain guru, ever fill such big shoes? The truth is, Cook charted his own course, telling reporters that the challenge for all of us is to be the best version of ourselves. But Ben Beharin of Creative Strategies, a longtime Apple watcher, says Cook has put his mark on this company. He helped change the narrative. For a long time, he says Apple was thought of as a boom and bust story. Today, investors clearly consider it a strong, sustainable business. And Beharin says Cook proved he can launch new popular products as well, a watch, AirPods, and music, video, and other subscriptions. Now, Beharin says one big question investors are going to start asking in the next couple of years, who takes the baton from Tim Cook? Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Joining us now to discuss more about Tim Cook's last 10 years as CEO of Apple is Tony Sakanagi, Bernstein Senior Research Analyst. Tony, great to have you with us. What's Cook's biggest challenge for the next 10? Uh, Good morning. Well, I think the challenge is really sustaining the success that Apple has enjoyed. I I think when Tim Cook took over, that was the real question. In a post-Steve Jobs era, can Apple continue to enjoy success? And as Josh outlined, the numbers have been tremendous. Apple's now a $350 billion revenue company, and and that makes growth more challenging. Even prior to this year, in the previous five years, Apple grew 3% per year. This year, it's growing 35% per year. So the immediate near-term challenge is, after such a Herculean year where every business is really fired on all cylinders, what can Apple do in the near to medium term over the next two to five years? Uh, to continue to demonstrate its growth profile. Well, what do you think that would be? I mean, would it be, for instance, making the phone something more like a a leasable piece of hardware, Um, phone as a service, if you will? Would it be uh, attracting new, I don't know, doing more in the gaming realm? I'm just trying to think of what what it would be, Tony, that that could continue these growth rates. Well, I think what Apple has done successfully is attack it through various angles. So if we, if we look over the Tim Cook era, about $40 billion worth of growth have come from wearables, largely the watch and AirPod. And there certainly could be more growth from new products, You know, potentially some kind of headset or glasses in the VR space. I think the second area has been through services. So again, while Tim Cook has been CEO, Services have gone from about 10 billion to 70 billion, so an increase of 60 billion in revenues. And and the you know the challenge there is to continue to introduce new services. They've obviously introduced Apple TV Plus. They've introduced Apple Pay, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and and the question is, can they continue to build on that? I think one of the areas we're most excited about is Apple's nascent advertising business, which is just a few billion today. But it was a few billion at Amazon, you know, four or five years ago, and today it's a twenty-five billion dollar business. We think that's an opportunity for Apple, and then to continue to evolve the iPhone, which remains about half the company. And I think your suggestion, Melissa, about can the phone perhaps reinvent itself as a service going forward has always been a question among Apple watchers. Is there an heir apparent, Tony? I mean, what we learned when Tim Cook took over is that. 
you may think a CEO will be there forever and the CEO is fantastic and is great, et cetera, but they won't be. I mean, that's a fact of the matter. So is, is there somebody you think, you know what, it would be a seamless transition if this person took over? Uh, it's not clear. And, and I think it's important to recognize that, that Tim is 60 and in good health and has said that he'd like to be CEO for many more years. Not 10, I think he said, but many more. So this, that's, a, that's another challenge for, uh, for Apple over the next three to five years is, is thinking about a succession plan. You know, in, in Tim's case, he was the COO. Uh, Apple has a COO today. He's pretty similar in age uh, to Tim, so it's it's not clear that that Jeff Williams would would necessarily be the heir apparent. But there is really good young ta- younger talent at Apple. Craig Frederiki is about a decade younger than Tim. You know, could be a potential heir apparent. But I think that's something that will be an important part of the next three to five years. I think for Tim Cook in creating a succession path, not only for himself, but for other senior managers within Apple. Tony, thanks. Tony Sakanagi. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen. And if you like what we do, tell a friend to check out Squawk Pod. Sharing is caring. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.